Two weeks ago, I read an article uh, to you from Helen Keller. It was published in 1933 uh, in the Atlantic Monthly. It was entitled Three Days to See. And in that article, she explained how we often take our eyesight for granted. She who lost her eyesight at a very early age, I think she was about 19 months old. And if you recall, the most powerful uh, clause of that whole article read that for long ago, she says, I became convinced that the seeing see little. Those of us who can see, see actually very little. We take for granted the eyesight that we have. And as we talked last week, how sad that is, that this, that this is often the case as well in our spiritual lives. That we've been given eyes, we've been given spiritual eyes, the, 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 the blinders of Satan have been removed as we've been given new life in Christ, but yet we become dull, we become insensitive to uh, the glorious truths of God's deliverance for us. The very truths that we sang about this morning. And though we've been given eyes to see, as time goes by, we start to actually see very little when it comes to spiritual reality. The children of Israel in Exodus 14 were in danger of this. God had just delivered them from Egypt through ten magnificent and terrible, all at the same time, plagues. Such that had never been demonstrated in the land before. They saw God come to their rescue, just as in Exodus 2, the people call out to Him, "We, who will deliver us? And their cries reach the ears of the Lord. You see, God rescued them from a great, great difficulty. And as God rescues them from their captivity to Egypt, we see only two chapters later that this would not be the end of God's testing of His people. The deliverance that God provided through through Egypt would not be the end of hardship. You know, many times we think in our lives, okay, God has has saved me, so therefore I should have a life exempt from any trial, any disappointment, any difficulty. And I mean, you read the history of God's working with His people and you just see that that is not the case. The prosperity gospel that God just desires us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise just is not true. It doesn't hold up against what Scripture tells us. So as they now encounter this new difficulty in Exodus 14, the question that is on the minds of us as readers that are reading this story is are they going to remember what God had just done for them or are they going to doubt Him? 
Are they going to, to forget all that just happened? Another way of saying that, the same thing of what our sermon is titled this morning, will they see, will they behold the salvation of the Lord even in the midst of great controversy? And today we pose for ourselves the question, are we beholding our salvation where God has providentially allowed us to be today, this minute, January 27th, 2019? As one commentator noted, he said, God is about to place Israel back into the fiery furnace, into the raging crucible and maybe you feel like you are in a fiery furnace of source of sorts a raging crucible where is your focus going to be today we're going to continue looking we've looked at uh, we began two weeks ago to look at four key truths regarding how we can see the salvation of the lord what are four key truths that enable us to see the salvation in the Lord, even in those times of difficulty. And we're going to continue along this theme as we once again are reminded, let's say this together, let's say it nice and strong, let's say our key theme through this whole series as we wind down these last two weeks, only God can rescue and redeem. Let's pray. Father, would you give us understanding this morning father would it not be true of us that having eyes we see very little but god we're in complete dependence upon you to behold as we sang the wondrous mysteries that have been revealed to us already through jesus christ father we thank you for your redemption we thank you for our great salvation but lord we often become numb and cold to that reality father we face difficulties in our lives like what we're going to read about today we face these things whether they're emotional or mental uh, or physical or financial whatever the case may be and god we forget that you are a rescuing and redeeming god Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith this morning. Our faith not in a desired outcome, but Lord, our faith that you are in control and that you are completing the work of redemption that you started in us the day we were saved. Father, if there's one today that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray, God, that today would be the day that they look to you as the rescuer and redeemer that they place their faith in you their complete dependence their lives in your hands in jesus name amen just by way of review the first core truth that we looked at in beholding god as our salvation last week was was this simple yet profound fact that salvation is sourced in god I mean, all throughout the series, our key principle, only God can rescue and redeem, we've tried to emphasize this. 
But we need to understand that salvation is sourced in God in the actual context of the everyday in which we live. Because it's one thing to say salvation is sourced in God. It's another thing to live it out. And we saw in verses 1 to 9 that we have to realize that salvation is sourced in God in the first section of this passage because it is God who makes His salvation known. Verses 1 to 4 of our text in Exodus 14, God tells the people that they are now to turn around and to relocate themselves and they are to face the sea and all of this is in verse 3 and 4 because God is going to once again harden Pharaoh's heart. Now this route in leaving Egypt and going into the wilderness doesn't make sense. Why are they going to hem themselves in against the sea? But if we are to understand that salvation is sourced in God, we have to understand as well that it is God who is working out His plan in our lives. I would dare to say that none of us would say that God has, has been working out His plan of redemption in our lives in ways that we expected. I think we would say that God has taken us through routes and detours in our lives that 10 years ago we would have never envisioned ourselves. But all of that is God working out the work of redemption, completing His plan that He has purposed in us from before creation itself. God is the one that makes His salvation known. We can't tell God how to do it. We simply respond in obedience. And the children of Israel did that in verses 1 to 4. But we also noted last uh, two weeks ago that salvation is sourced in God because it is the very rebellion of man that brings God glory. You see, on one end, you see God's people, Israel, are obedient to where God tells them to be. And in verses 5 to 9, we see Egypt, uh, Pharaoh, and his rulers rebelling against God. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh says, what is this that we have done in letting the people go? God hardens Pharaoh's heart. He says, let's get all of the best of our military. Let's get our chariots and our, chari our charioteers together. All of the best, the, power the most powerful kingdom in the world at this time. And let's get them back. But once again, just like we have read throughout the 14 chapters of Exodus, all of this is according to God's plan because he's going to do a work. Listen, nothing can stop God's work of redemption in our lives. Not the mightiest armies of the world, not whatever political structure is set up in this world or in our country or in any other country. Our hope is in God making His plans and purposes realized. Salvation is sourced in God are we going to believe it? Are we going to live like it? Are we going to encourage our spouse, 
our children, our fellow brothers and sisters in this room to keep trusting in God even when life doesn't make sense. Because salvation is sourced in Him. He's our only hope. See, that's reality number one in understanding, in being able to behold salvation truly is of the Lord. But key truth number two that we really have to understand if we're going to behold the salvation of God and, and truly, to, truly realize God's work on our behalf in life is that number two, salvation is for the desperate. You know what the good news of the gospel is? The good news of the gospel is that we are people that are desperate, unable to help ourselves, yet God has come down through the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son, and He has done for the desperate what they could not do for themselves. You see, the good news is good news because we first have to understand the bad news. The good news is not the good news if we don't understand the bad news first. And many times we try to skip the bad news to get to the good news, but the good news ceases to be good news then. Am, am, I, tw am I like twisting your brains yet? <laughs> this is, this is uh, so key for us to realize, but it's so easy for us to forget even in our preaching, and in the teaching that we listen to. That listen, if we are not desperate, if we do not see our great need and our inability to help ourselves, then we are not going to be open to the good news of the gospel. You see, we, we come and we see our desperate our desperate state as sinners before God. We come to Christ in faith, but you know what happens in our Christian life? we lose sight of the desperate nature that we still struggle with. We think that somehow now we are able to, to do things in and of ourselves and to be able to earn some type of favor with God through our actions, and we forget that we are still desperate in complete dependence upon a Savior. And we think we no longer need the good news of the gospel on our behalf. Oh, we know that we're sinners and Jesus died for us, but we don't realize that we need the outworking of what Jesus has done for us every single day of our life. And we wonder why we are cold to the truths of Jesus Christ on my behalf. The truths of the gospel in our life. You see, salvation is for the desperate. But here's the good news of the gospel in the Exodus story, that the desperate must not despair. Because God has made a way. God is for us. As we are, as we are in dependence upon Christ in every situation of our day. Yes, God should be the owner, should be the Lord of our finances, should be the Lord of our possessions, should be the Lord of every area of our lives. And if He is, then we will soon find ourselves, though desperate, not despairing. 
Because if he is the Lord of those areas, then he is going to provide for those areas. You see, circumstances in our lives will often look grim. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. You talk about a desperate circumstance that looks grim. You have it right here. Imagine this mighty army, and they see them over the horizon with the dust cloud behind them, and and you picture this great scene of this mighty Egyptian army that is getting nearer. They're within eyesight. Pharaoh's encroaching upon them. The people cry out, it says. They feared greatly. If you remember through our study in Exodus, that phrase, Israel cried out, is very familiar. We read of it in chapter 1 as they cry out. We read of it in chapter 3 as they again are crying out because of the heavy bondage that the Egyptians are putting them under. And now they are once again crying out. They're desperate. Folks, God does not become insensitive to the cries of His people. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we crying out in faith? Or are we crying out in defiance? Because there's a great difference. Because verses 11 and 12 show us that in desperation, the temptation for faith To flee at the sign of adversity is great. In verse 11, we see the people's reaction to this great danger. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? I don't see faith here. They're being, they, in their fear as they cry out to the Lord, I think that what we see here in verse 10 is not a, f- a cry of faith. It is a cry of not only despair, but of defiance. You see, here's the reality that the temptation for faith to flee at the sign of adversity, it's great. But do you know when we are going to give in to that temptation for faith to flee? It's when before the temptation, the adversity strikes, there is already no faith within our hearts. You see, this circumstance was only boiling up to the surface the people's heart condition. And we, that's why we see time and time again throughout the book of Exodus, when difficulty comes, the people do not respond in faith. They respond in defiance. And folks, we oftentimes think we have hearts of faith, but we oftentimes have hearts, yes, in faith, but faith in all the wrong things. You see, in verse 11, where do the people, it says they cry out to the Lord, but where do they go in verse 11? They say to Moses. 
Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us to die in the wilderness? I mean, there's two problems here. One is bitter sarcasm. I like sarcasm, uh, yeah, but, but not when it's like this. I mean, first of all, it's very sarcastic because the land of Egypt them, uh, itself was considered a place of great monuments and graves. You have the periods, the, the great graves of the pharaohs. Uh, the, the, uh, the Israelites were no doubt involved in building many of these projects. And he says, and he sa- they say, is it because there were no graves in Egypt? Well, of course, there were many. They were known for their graves. So the people are being so sarcastic to Moses saying, we could have just easily died. There's all these graves there. Why are you taking us out here to die? That's problem number one is bitterness. And, and when faith grows thin, bitterness grows deep in our lives. But number two problem is that their eyes are completely on the wrong person. Was it really Moses that brought them out of Egypt? I mean, seriously? After seeing all that God did, was it really Moses? Could the people see no deeper than who Moses represented? I mean, many times our eyes get on the wrong people. Our eyes can get on pastors. Our eyes can get on political leaders. Our eyes can get on, on our spouse. Our eyes can get on our children. We get on all of these wrong perspectives and we forget the Lord, the one who has actually redeemed us. I can't be a savior to Rachel. Rachel can't be a savior to me. Are we looking at the wrong people to be our rescuer, our savior? You see, the people, they were filled with bitterness. They were looking to the wrong person. And they actually seemed to humanize the divine. They, in exalting Moses, they de-exalt God. Again, what have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? They have basically limited who God is to Moses. And verse 12 says, Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You see, here's a third temptation when if we are relying on, on Christ, the desperate, we must not despair. The temptation, circumstances will often look grim. There's a temptation for faith to flee. But thirdly, there's a temptation to glamorize the past. I know I've done this in my life. I think you can think back of times where you have done this in your life. Difficulty comes. You're following God's call. You're living a life of obedience. Things get difficult. And you think, oh man, wasn't it a lot better back then? Oh, what am I doing now? Did I, I made a mistake in following what I thought was God's leading. Now what do I do? It was so much better before. We glamorize the past. I mean, is verse 12 really true? If you've been tracking with us throughout this series, is it really true that it would have been better for the Israelites to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness? We read over and over again they were calling out for a deliverer because they just simply could not last any longer under the toils of Pharaoh. Pharaoh. 
They were glamorizing the past. Maybe the past doesn't look so bad because of what I'm going through now. There's two times that that I've seen in life that we tend to glamorize the past. The first one is, is obviously through difficulties and trials. The second one, I think, is at funerals. I have heard the most magnificent statements of people that are now dead that I would have never heard when they were alive. Have you ever noticed that? We glamorize the past, uh, both in difficult situations and just in general as humanity. Someone that you would struggle being in the room with for 10 minutes at a time suddenly just became just a great role model and an example in such a great person. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. We are so prone to look back and compare the past with the present, and because we are dealing with difficulties in the present that we don't know the outcome with, we look back at what we do know the outcome with because it's the past and be like, boy, can't we get to the good old days again? Listen, the children of Israel were in the exact place that God wanted them. Exactly where God wanted them. They were not to move. They were not to try to defeat the Egyptian army on their own. God had them in the perfect place. He was working out His will and His calling in the life of His people. They didn't need to glamorize what was the past. You see, salvation is for the desperate, and if salvation is for the desperate, then we better not despair. Because in our very being desperate, it is a re- it's another reminder that God, in His sometimes uncomfortable grace, gives us to say, remember, you are nothing without me. You need me. You cannot move forward productively in your faith without me. And oh, the terrible places we would go if God did not remind us of this. Our despair is a reminder of our need for a Savior. But I also want to point your attention that salvation is for the desperate and the desperate need to realize that there is strength in silence. There is strength in silence. Look at what verse 13 says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Wow, those are two powerful verses. You see, there is a focus in silence that cannot be had when our minds are spinning and we're trying to just figure everything out on our own. There is a strength in silence. 
It's kind of like the, um, the, the illustration that you've probably heard sometime in the past of the lifeguard uh, is on duty, but let's, uh, or uh, let's, the lifeguard is watching the ocean, and what happens? Someone starts drowning, and they're flailing, and, and it's so difficult so many times for that lifeguard to rescue that individual and swim them to shore because they actually start fighting against the one who's trying to rescue them. They almost have to come to the point where they're too exhausted to, to, to try to fight on their own and try to say, no, I got this. And it's the, the reflex of survival kicking in to let the lifeguard bring them to safety. That's so true in the, in the Christian life. There is a focus in silence that cannot be had until our hearts do grow silent. And, and, and Moses lays it out for the people what this focus is to be. He says here, fear not. You see, the focus of silence, it brings about a calming of fear. That we realize that God is the one in control. He is going to be faithful to me even if I, if I don't understand what I'm going through and even if God brings about that rescue in a way I do not expect. The focus of silence, then Moses says, fear not, and then he moves on and says, stand firm. They can't stand firm until they're fearing not. So this focus of silence brings a stability that is sourced in God. It's not a a stability that's sourced in, okay, I can make the numbers crunch. It's not a stability, okay, I can make sense of this all. Okay, I know what tomorrow holds. It is a stability that is sourced in God Himself. And the focus of silence, then, as Moses says here, fear not, stand firm, and then what will happen? They will, as we titled today's message, see the salvation of the Lord. You see, a focus in silence then allows us to see You see, the people will once again experientially observe God at work. Isn't that where we lose faith? That we've seen God work in the past, yes. And wow, I can't believe God um, has done this work in my life. Or there's times in our spiritual life that we just feel that, that sense, that closeness to the Lord. That fresh communion with Him. And then many times we go through some dry spells. And we think, where has God gone? You see, God has gone nowhere. We are to keep our priorities to be sourced in Him. We are to focus upon the truth, the reality of what He has done for us in Christ. We are to allow that reality to calm us, to bring us stability, and to realize that God is still at work in my life. And yes, I will still, not only theologically with my mind, but experientially in my life, see God at work. Moses says, He will work for you today. You see, there is a focus in silence, and verse 14 gives us a confidence we can have in silence. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. 
The question is, are we in enough despair? Are we, do, uh, I guess I should word it this way, do we see the true desperation of our souls enough to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and to be silent. Because our lack of silence is in reality an evidence of pride. That I can be my own savior, I'm not really that desperate. I'm not really that bad, I'm not really this, I'm not really that. So you know what, I can still figure it out. But the good news of the gospel are for those who see that there is no salvation in any form whatsoever in self. There is strength in silence. But then as we see that, the, that salvation is for the desperate, verses 15 to 18 show us one more facet of this. That as we are desperate because of the gospel, the good news that has been given to us through Jesus Christ, the desperate must move forward. You see, that's an example between despairing and realizing just how desperate we are in need of a Savior. If we're despairing, we just hunker down and say, woe is me, you know, I'm just going to throw my hands up and do nothing. But those that see that, yes, they are desperate and they have been given a Savior are those that are able to move forward in faith. And verse 15 shows us, it says, The Lord says to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. You see, failure to walk ahead in faith is never spiritual. When God has given us a clear path, if we refuse to move forward, then that is never a spiritual thing. Listen, it's not a spiritual thing to say, well, you know what? When God provides opportunity to me, for me to share my faith with my neighbor, my coworker, I'm going to be spiritual and, and not do it because I don't know if I'm going to have the, the right words to say. And I don't want to mess it up. So I'm actually doing God a favor. <laughs> It's not spiritual to say, you know what, my personality is just not wired to really serve the Lord. I'm kind of just a behind-the-scenes type person, so I don't want to get, go over there across the auditorium and greet my brother and my sister in Christ and get into their lives because, man, that's just not me. I'm going to realize that's not my spiritual gift. Listen, that's not spiritual. You know what? There is an, I know God's called me to biblical community, and there's an opportunity, an avenue, not that this is going to produce it, but a way for God to work that in my life. Huh, I wonder if I should sign up for a connection group. Well, you know, I just, that's not me. So I have a spiritual answer not to. Listen, we try to spiritualize things all the time, and failure to walk ahead in faith is never spiritual. Never. The people of Israel, God says to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Now, he's not condemning Moses for going to, the Lord, for going to him and saying, what do we do? Are you going to deliver us? No, he's using Moses as an example, as the leader for the people in general. 
And he's saying, don't just stand there complaining or just calling out, follow the plan that I have for you. And I think that's a message that the Lord would have for us today. Maybe you're, you're finding yourself stationary, going in circles, and God says, you need to just get back up and keep going the way I told you to. Why? Because verses 16 to 17 show us that God is working on behalf of his people. So God not only says, hey, you got to get back up and go forward like you know you need to be, but now I'm going to show you what to do. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it and the people of Israel, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Wow. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. See, God's still well aware of the difficulty they're, they're encountering and God is saying, go forward in faith because I am greater than all of this. I am greater than everything that you fear and I even know exactly what it is that you fear. I know all about Moses. I know about the Egyptians, Pharaoh, the host, the chariots, the horsemen. I know all about it. Isn't that comforting? That God knows all about our greatest fears? And he says, I will still be sufficient for you to move in faith? See, God is working on behalf of his people. God assured Moses that he will do for them. He will continue to do the work that he started in the people. Verse 18 says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. See, what God is saying, that he is going to make himself known to the weak, the Israelites, and he was going to make himself known to the mighty, the Egyptians. One, he would make himself known through salvation as they passed through the waters. Which, by the way, the New Testament says this crossing of the Red Sea. Um, we see tie-ins all together that we see again a picture of baptism here. God's deliverance through the wa judgment waters. God provides salvation through to the Israelites. He shows his judgment to the Egyptians. And when we know the full storyline of, of, the, of the scriptures, the Bible says in Isaiah, God is once again going to make himself known to the Egyptians. They are going to come to him and worship. You see, when God's glory is manifested, he redeems. How is God seeking to identify your weaknesses today so that he can show you his salvation? Key truth is our time is about up, and, and don't worry, that's most of our time, where our time is in these first two truths. Salvation is sourced in God. Salvation is for the desperate. Key truth number three in truly beholding the salvation of the Lord Similar to salvation being sourced in God, we will see salvation comes directly from the Lord. You may say, what are the differences between those two points? 
The difference is, number one, we, we submit ourselves to God's plan, realizing that salvation is only sourced in God. We can't come up with our own plan for our life. In truth number three, that salvation comes directly from the Lord, we are going to realize, we must realize in our life that the very God who is the author of our salvation is the completer of that salvation. And He has acted fully through Jesus in the sending of His Son. And He's going to complete that work until His coming again. God acts on behalf of His people. You see, he and he alone is our defense. Very quickly, verse 19 says, The angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Verse 20, Coming between the hosts of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. God was defending His people. He moves from before them to behind them and keeps a division between the two. He and He alone is our defense. Aspect number two of salvation the action of salvation coming directly from the Lord is that we realize that He is the one who provides a path through the sea. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. So God divides the waters. And then verse 22, And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. My goodness, God divides the waters and then He provides a way through the chaos of those waters. This word... Wall is used in the Old Testament of large fortified walls such as we read about uh, concerning the city of Jericho. Walls of defense and fortification. And these walls were around them in the waters as the winds blew all night. And His people walked on dry ground. In fact, we don't have time to fully unpack this, but verses 21 to 23 are... um, excuse me, 21 and 22, are full of creation language. That God divided the waters, second day of creation. That God made the dry land appear, third day of creation. We'll see why this is significant. But God is the one who is our defense. God provides a way where there is no way. Verses 23 to 25 show us that God fights for his people. It says the Egyptians pursued. If you, if you remember from two weeks ago, um, in this narrative of chapter 14, Moses keeps using that word pursue. It's an intimidating word. Pharaoh's going full force after God's people. 
And it says, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. I wonder if they're shocked at this miracle. But man, I mean, they're fully confident. Go in full force. Whatever's happening. Maybe they thought it was their own gods that were helping in this situation. They go in full force. We see, verse 23, a massive army. An intimidating army. Who went through the midst of the sea? The end of verse 23. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. When I I read that, it reminds me of Humpty Dumpty. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty together again. (laughs) All of the mightiest of the mighty go into this sea. We see a massive army, but guess what we see in verse 24 to 25? A mighty God. This morning, are you seeing the massive army or are you seeing the mighty God? And I'm not saying that in the sense of, oh, you know, God just going to give you your wishes. I'm saying, do you see the mighty God who promises to complete the work of redemption that he started in you? And he's using each and every situation and circumstance and difficulty and trial and even the sin we struggle with to conform us to Jesus, to complete that work. Verse 24 says, In the morning watch, that's about 2 to 3 a.m., the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces. That, that's, that saying puts Egypt in its proper place, doesn't it? God had to look down on them, this mighty army. Put, he looks down on the Egyptian forces, threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, Now it's Egypt that's panicking. Isn't that ironic? Clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Once again, they came and experientially saw that God was fighting for his people. You see, no matter what happens in life, no matter what difficulties we encounter, we must realize that it is God that has the final word. God has the final word. Verse 26 to 28 describes for us the destruction of the Egyptian army. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters will come back upon the Egyptians, upon their horses, their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. That word through could also be be translated. He shook them off. I mean, literally the image, he shook them off as they were nothing. Just shook them into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But then verse 29, we see a contrast with the people of God. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground. There's that phrase again. Through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand. And on their left. 
You see, folks, the reason that there is creation language that is being, being employed here is because we see, once again, we see in the image of a new creation that God is bringing forth a people to once again be his image bearers to display God's glory to the rest of the entire world. And folks, we as God's people are called in 2 Corinthians 5.17 a new creation. That we are God's image bearers. We are displaying his glory to this world. We are sharing the reality of Christ. But are we going to be willing to go through the difficulty to persevere, to cling to God in faith as he's doing that work in our hearts? So as we close this morning, key truth number one, salvation is sourced in God. Key truth number two, salvation is for the desperate. Key truth number three, that salvation comes directly, the act of deliverance comes directly from the Lord. He will do what he says. In these last two verses in 30 and 31, key truth number four, if we are to see the salvation of the Lord, we, see, we must realize salvation brings God praise. Are you praising God this morning or simply complaining? As this is a segue to next week as we finish our series looking at chapter 15, the Song of Moses as it's entitled. Verse 30 says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. We see saving praise here. Israel was delivered. Verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Not only does God's work of, of, of salvation, not only ultimate salvation, but everyday salvation from the battle against sin we struggle with, from his daily provisions, his salvation in, amidst the trials of life. Not only does it bring words of praise of God's saving acts, but it brings experiential praise. It was only through God's people going through the Red Sea that the end of verse 31 could become a reality. The people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord. And in his servant Moses. You see, Moses stood as a mediator between the people of Israel and God. Under God's new covenant, who is our mediator? It's Jesus. And as God is working his will, his perfect plan out in our lives, we then are in awe and in, and in a healthy spiritual fear of the Lord. We believe in the Lord, not just with our words, but experientially. We've seen it. We've come to trust in it. It's in our hearts. And we believe in his perfect mediator, Jesus Christ, who was given on our behalf. Are you seeing the salvation of the Lord this morning? Are you reminding yourself that though you may not feel it, though you may not see it, with your eyes, you take the salvation of the Lord by faith that he will do what he started. Let's pray.